Our Father, how privileged we are to be able to come in peace and quietness into your presence. We thank you for all the benefits and blessings you bestow upon us. And we do pray that this hour we spend together in your presence might be profitable to our own spiritual lives and also that it might result in a greater effectiveness in our service because our relationship with your Holy Spirit may be more intimate. We do pray that these lives of ours may be of such a quality that he will be able to use us in increasing degree in the evangelization of the world because we realize that this is the great purpose that is on your heart. And so we pray that as we open the scriptures, that the light from the Holy Spirit will shine upon the page and our minds will be enlightened and our heart quickened and our will strengthened so that we may do the will of God from the heart. And to your name, we will give the glory. Amen. I'd like you to read a passage with me from the eighth chapter of Romans. I'm not going to expound it. But in the eighth chapter of Romans, there is more said about the Holy Spirit than in any other place except the 14th chapter of John. Though the 16th, 14th and 16th. And uh, in this one chapter, it's, it is the chapter of the Holy Spirit. You will find that in that chapter there are no fewer than 15, I think, references to the Holy Spirit. And so it's a, a very important chapter from that, uh, that uh, point of view as well as from many other points of view. But we'll read from verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. That's what we were speaking about on Sunday night or Sunday morning, the spirit-controlled life. And here it says, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God 
and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I don't know if you noticed how frequently the Holy Spirit occurs in that passage. But if you turn to Romans chapter, you needn't turn to it now, but if you turn to Romans chapter 7 and you count the number of times I occurs, the personal pronoun, uh, you'd be surprised how many times I occurs. You see, in chapter 7, the chapter of defeat, I is in control. I am in control of my life. But you come to chapter 8 and you come to the chapter of the Holy Spirit. And in the 8th chapter, you will find that the word I occurs only twice. And even then, it occurs in a happy context. But the Spirit occurs time and time again. And that bears out what I was saying on Sunday, that if our lives are controlled by the Holy Spirit, if we take our hands off and allow the Holy Spirit to exercise the Lordship of Christ in our lives, it will turn defeat into victory. And so this eighth chapter is the chapter of victory, while the seventh chapter is the chapter of defeat. But that's not what I'm going to speak to you about tonight. I want to speak to you about uh, four, four words, or five words. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, is a verse that everybody knows. There's not one person here tonight who couldn't quote it. What does it say? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, you know that verse very well, don't you? You're here at most Sundays. And we're so familiar with it. But has it got anything to say to us? Dr. Roland Bingham was the founder and general director of the Sudan Interior Mission. And I remember when I was a young fellow, he came to our country. And he was a, he, he was a great missionary and he was a good Bible expositor. And he took the largest church in our city... And for one week, he preached on that verse. Uh, you say, uh, where did he get, what, what did he get out of it? Well, I don't remember very, very <laughs> <laughs> But the congregation came back every night and it was packed to the roof, really. So there is something in it. But I'm going to take just the last words, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I believe that in our Christian life and in our service, our relationship to the Holy Spirit is of tremendous importance. It is of supreme importance because he is the divine actor, the administrator of the missionary enterprise. He is the Lord's representative on earth. And it's tremendously important that we have a right relationship to him. Would you like to have perhaps a new relationship? It won't be new in one sense, but it might be new to you. The word fellowship there is the word koinonia. And it has various meanings. It, it, the fe fellowship is one of the meanings. But it is also used of partnership. It was used like, like the, the, the disciples were partners in a fishing business. And it's used in other ways like that. And I'm going to suggest to you tonight that it is possible for us to be 
in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And when Paul was giving this benediction, he was praying that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the partnership of the Holy Spirit might be with them. And I'm going to suggest tonight that here is a possibility for us in our life and in our ministry for us to be actual partners with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes an advertisement appears in the newspaper, something like this, wanted a partner with capital to develop an expanding business. Here is a young fellow, and he's started his business, and it's going, blossoming, but all of a sudden he finds he's short of capital, undercapitalized. And so he puts in an advertisement, and he hopes that somebody who's got a bit of money will lend him that money and uh, become a partner in the business. Uh, He wouldn't necessarily want the person to uh, be an active partner, but he'd like him to be a sleeping partner. Uh, You see, he'll supply the money and he'll participate in the profits, but the owner of the business will do do the work and he could work it his own way. Well, that that is uh, often done. And there are many firms who run with the active partner doing the work and the sleeping partner providing the, the resources. Well, here is a possibility that we, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, may experience a new and a more effective life than we have known before. Now, have you ever discovered how inadequate are your spiritual resources? How much spiritual capital have you got? Have you ever overdrawn your spiritual capital? I wonder how many times we've done that and we find that uh, the bank doesn't honor our checks because we haven't got any resources there. I jotted down a few texts that uh, will challenge us. For example, think of these verses and think of the demands they make. Here in Matthew 5:48, it says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's pretty easily done, isn't it? Be perfect. Well, however, can I be perfect as God is perfect? Be holy because I am holy, God says. Be holy as God is holy. Philippians 4 and 6. In nothing be anxious. You ever worry? Nothing. In nothing be anxious. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. I'd point out it doesn't say without stopping. It says without ceasing. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for everything. Now, if you take those five texts, you discover very quickly what spiritual resources you have. However on earth can I come up to the standard set in these verses? I was saying to friends tonight that that verse in Matthew 5, 48, I used to pass over that one. Be therefore perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Because I I knew that that was quite impossible, so I I just slipped over it. That, That was the way I handled it. But I I got a ray of hope when I was reading a book by Dr. A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar. And in it he said, this word is used in an absolute sense of God. He is absolutely perfect. But he said it is also used in a relative sense as of the maturity of a child compared with its parents. And I 
breathed a sigh of relief. Well, I can't have the full maturity of God, but I can have the relative maturity of a child who is growing in likeness to Christ. And in Hebrews 6 and 1, it says, let us go on to maturity. And the present continuous tense there is, let us continue progressing toward maturity. But I brought those texts just to re- make you realize, as I realized, how entirely bankrupt we are when it comes to coming up to the divine standard. And uh, what we need is a partner with adequate resources. Isn't that wanted a partner <laughs> with adequate resources? And uh, when we go into partnership with him, why? He can supply the resources and we can do the work. Well, that, that I think is the idea behind what I'm going to say tonight. We find our need, our spiritual need in the Godhead and the, in the Holy Spirit. We have one into whom, with whom we can be in partnership in a very real and definite way. The word implies sharing with someone. It's a sharing experience. And the Holy Spirit is willing to share with us the resources that he has in Christ. First of all, let us think of the personality of the Father, of the Spirit. We thought about that on on Sunday evening. He is a divine person. He's not an influence. He's not an emanation from God. He's not a power that you can switch on and off like electricity. He is a divine person, a third person of the Godhead, who has feelings. He loves and he wants to be loved. He has power. He has will. He wills and so on. The Holy Spirit is a divine person, and this, he can enter into a very real partnership with us. But do we really know the Holy Spirit? I wouldn't like to go into partnership with somebody I didn't know. Would you? So maybe we need to get to know our partner better. Have you ever done a study on the Holy Spirit? And you've taken the passages in the Bible that teach about him so that you would get to know him? Not merely know about him. By study, you can know about the Holy Spirit, but so that you can get to know him. And remember that verse in John 14 and verse 17 the spirit of truth, but you know him. He is somebody who can be known and he is exactly like Jesus. The Holy Spirit can do for us and in us everything that Jesus did for his disciples when he was on earth. So we think of the personality of the Holy Spirit. Then let us think of the purpose of our entering into a partnership with him. Uh, In an earthly partnership, if it's going to be successful, one of the important things is that both partners share the same aims and ideals. A friend of mine died and he left me to be trustee of his estate. And uh, he had a printing business and he was part, a partner with his brother and uh, he left his wife his share. And so we t- tried to carry on the printing business with the wife uh, having her responsibility and the brother having his responsibility. But they had entirely opposite aims and objectives in their their business. And uh, what happened? Well, it got so tense that the only thing I could do was to sell the show up and divide it up among them. 
Why? Because they did not share the same aims and objectives. And if I am going to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit, what he aims to do will be what I aim to do. Otherwise, there's going to be trouble. Now, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? What is his great aim? Jesus told us what he was going to do. He will glorify me. He will take the things that are mine and show them unto you. That is the aim of the Holy Spirit. What was the aim of the Lord Jesus? To glorify the Father. He said, I have glorified thee on the earth. What is the aim of the Holy Spirit? He shall glorify me. You see, there, there are no cross purposes within the, the Godhead. One glorifies the other. They don't want to glorify themselves. There is that uh, mutuality in, within the Godhead. And the great desire of the Holy Spirit is that Christ will be exalted and glorified. Now, if that is my aim and ideal, then... I can get on very well with my partner and he will make all his resources available to me so long as I am aiming at what he's aiming at. Now, what is your greatest desire in life? I'm sure that with, with all of us, with, within our own range, but all of us, we do want to glorify the Lord, don't we? We want his name to be made great. We, we may not be as zealous as we ought to be, but in our heart of hearts, I do want to see the name of our Lord Jesus magnified and made great in the earth. Well, if so, I am in, in keeping with the Holy Spirit and he can work and will work alongside of me. And then let us think of the position, the relative position of the partners. Uh, as I suggested, some businesses are able to get along quite well with one partner being the active one who does the business side and the other being a sleeping partner not uh, taking part in the direction of the business, but just supplying the sinews of war. But in this partnership, the Holy Spirit will not content, be content to be a sleeping partner. He must be the senior partner. And you know, I think that a great deal of our trouble and a great deal of our defective Christian experience is that perhaps unconsciously we have taken the place of the senior partner and we have largely ignored the Holy Spirit. You, you just think back, how, what place have you given to the Holy Spirit in your life? Isn't it true that so often we just don't take him into account at all and we go off on our own? We do things by ourselves. We are the senior partner. We make the decisions. But the Holy Spirit has come to earth, what for? To be Christ's representative. He's looking after our Lord's interests on earth. And we submit to the Lordship of Christ. But have you noticed that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, the Lord, the Spirit... He is also one to be obeyed. He is Lord as well as Christ is Lord. But we don't often recognize that. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, it says. So uh, here, the, there's only one place that the Holy Spirit can have in this partnership. And that is the place of senior partner. You take, for example, the case of Gideon in the Old Testament. It must have sounded very strange to Gideon, who we first see beating out the sheaves in a, in a wine press to keep away so that the enemy won't see him. And then the Lord says, calls him 
thou mighty man of valor. <laughs> Here he is hiding for fear and mighty man of valor. I think, I wonder what Gideon's reaction was to that. <laughs> You're telling me I'm the mighty man of valor. But how did he become a mighty man of valor? In Judges 6 and verse 34, and this is from the revised version, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and the revised version says, clothed himself with Gideon. That's the idea behind that word. The spirit of God clothed himself with Gideon. You know, when you've got clothing, what happens? It, it conforms itself to the shape of your body. And the picture here is of Gideon, who so yielded himself to the Spirit that as he walked about, he was the clothing of the Spirit. And God was able to do mighty things through him because he yielded himself to the Holy Spirit. He waited until the Spirit clothed him. So with the way in which the Holy Spirit can use us, we can be his clothing. And as we move about, the Holy Spirit will be able to use us as he used Gideon. D.L. Moody on one occasion was in Syria with his wife. And the biography tells of Moody saying to his wife, you know, an old man came up to me one day and he was talking to me and he said, young man, honor thou the Holy Spirit or thou shalt break down. He saw that D.L. Moody was going far beyond his physical powers. And this wise old man said, young man, honor the Holy Spirit or thou shalt break down. And Moody said, I was very angry with him. But he said he was right. And uh, he said, I, I went away and I, had, uh, I prayed until there came a night when the third heaven came down to me. And he said, from that time on, I have not broken down. He said, I've been like the Moses and the burning bush. The bush burned yet was not consumed. And you see, because he honored the Holy Spirit, instead of doing things in his own power, he acknowledged his place as the senior partner. And the senior partner gave him the resources, the spiritual resources, and he did not break down. There's a new disease that uh, is common among people today. It's called burnout. Have you ever heard of burnout? Uh, people who work so hard that they, they burn out. We used to call it a nervous breakdown, but it's now burnout. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, here, here Moody was running under his own steam. He was doing a great job, but he was doing it at such a cost that he was going to break down, and God sent that man to, uh, to stop him. I had an experience like that uh, about 45 years ago. I had been going very hard and I dropped about 56 pounds in weight and uh, it looked as though I was going to have a nervous breakdown. But a doctor met me. He said, what have you been doing? I said, oh, I don't know. I've just been working pretty hard. He said, what are you doing now? I said, oh, I'm just going on a lecture tour. He said, you're doing no such thing. I said, I am. He said, you'll cancel all those meetings. I said, I can't. He said, well, if you don't, I will. <laughs> and uh, so he did. He, he, he prevailed on me. And I just about missed it. But why was it? I had been running under my own steam. I had not been relying upon the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, we were under great pressure. 
pressure so severe that we despaired even of life. My, that was pressure. And then he said, he goes on to say, but this was in order that we might not rely upon ourselves, but upon God. And sometimes God allows pressures to come on us. Uh, none of us has ever got to the place that Paul got to where he said we despaired of life itself, but sometimes we know what pressure is. Sometimes God allows it in order to show us that we have not the spiritual capital to, to meet the demands of ordinary living or ordinary Christian service. And we need a partner upon whom we can depend. And if we acknowledge that he is the senior partner, we will not take on work that he has not authorized. You know, that's, that's important. God assumes responsibility for any work he asks us to do. But he does not assume responsibility for work which we undertake without consulting him. He allows the ordinary laws of nature to take their course. And they do take their course. Because we're Christians, we're not immune to the ordinary laws of nature. But if we are working in the power of the Spirit and working according to the will of God, it makes all the difference. He'll, he'll carry us through. And there's a verse which I often give to people because it's a, a very helpful verse. It's uh, Exodus 18 and verse 23. It was the advice that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, gave to his son-in-law. <coughs> Just after the Israelites had come into the wilderness from their escape, after their escape from Egypt, Moses was sitting at the gate, the judgment place, from early morning till late at night, hearing all the complaints and the problems of the people. And uh, he, was, he was worn, worn out. And when Jethro saw, saw him, he said, what, what are you doing, Moses? He said, you'll wear yourself out and you'll wear the people out. He said, you, you mustn't do all this yourself. You've got to delegate it. You choose men, capable men, and you delegate to them some of the, your responsibilities. And then he said in Exodus 18, verse 23, if you do this thing and God so commands then you will be able to stand the strain and the people will go away comforted, strengthened. If you do this thing and God so commands. You see, the important thing is to do the things that God commands. Then the responsibility is his. You see, he commands me that he's responsible. I can throw it back on him. Lord, you put me in this position. I didn't choose it. You asked me to do this thing. Now I'm trusting you to provide the resources. And it is God, the Holy Spirit, who provides the resources. We won't undertake work that he hasn't authorized. And, you know, the Holy Spirit has got his own way of making his will known to us. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They, they know me. And if we're walking in the Spirit, we, the Holy Spirit has got his way of giving us the assurance that this is the right thing. Now, you take Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journey. And they set off and they thought they were doing the right thing. And they came to... Uh, Mycia, but their spirit uh, didn't allow them to go any further. And uh, he didn't allow them to stop there. And so they went on, and they wanted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit suffered them not. And so they went on. Now, they were sensitive to the voice of the spirit. 
there would be within their hearts a sense that this is, this is not the will of God. A check in their spirit. They were sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 13, where the leaders of the church at Antioch were praying and fasting, and they were seeking God's mind for the church. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, separate Paul and Barnabas. You see, when they were waiting in the attitude of prayer, the Holy Spirit communicated his mind to them. And we can know that. Our senior partner, the more intimate we become with him, the more quickly we'll catch his tones and we'll know what he wants us to do. We become more sensitive to it. And so these are some of the things that we won't do. Our senior partner must always have the last word, not I. Then let us think of something, something about the particulars of the partnership. What are some of the essential things? Uh, one of the important things in any partnership is that the terms of the partnership are clearly defined uh, and put in writing. That's an important thing. I had a friend who was a very fine businessman and he took another man into partnership with him. He was a Christian. Uh, but as the years went by, the business increased. It was a very good business. I urged my friend, I said, put, as a lawyer, I said, put it into writing. Don't have, because he's a Christian, don't, don't just leave, leave the terms of your partnership uh, airy-fairy. Have it in writing. But he didn't do it. Well, in the end, uh, it came to a pass where he lost scores of thousands of dollars because he didn't have the terms of the partnership clearly defined. A partnership deed is necessary. And uh, what are the terms of our partnership? And what is our partnership deed? Where are the terms on which we can be partners with the Holy Spirit? Well, of course, in the book that the Holy Spirit has inspired. Of course, there they are. There, the, there are the rules of the partnership. And uh, as a lawyer, if I were advising a partner, there were five clauses that would be necessary and they are applicable to our partnership with the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. The business shall be conducted according to the partnership deed. Isn't that reasonable? If you've got a partnership deed, then the business will be conducted according to the provisions of that partnership deed. We've got our partnership deed in the inspired scriptures. And it means that we, as the junior partner will be subject to the senior partner who has given us in the word of God every instruction that we need for personal life, for family life, for business life, for community life. It's all there in the scriptures. This is our partnership deed. And it means that we will scrutinize it. We will be looking now... Uh, Am I keeping within the partnership deed? Am I doing what my senior partner wants me to do? So we've got another slant on our Bible reading. There is nothing that we will ever be called upon to do for which there is not light in the Scriptures. That goes without saying. Then a second clause would be, the partners shall devote their whole time, ability, and energies to furthering the partnership business. That's a fair thing, isn't it? That we'll give our whole time, our whole lives, without any reservation. 
Being a Christian, being a disciple is not a nine to five job. It is a 24 hour a day lifetime job. There is no such thing as short-term discipleship. We like things short-term. A fellow said to me a while back, he said, I'll I'll try it out, and if it's okay, I'll do it. Well, there's no trying it out. Either become a disciple and realize that it's for life, because our Lord is worthy of nothing less than that. He gave his whole life for me. And it's my reasonable service. It says in Romans 12 and 1 that I give my whole life to him and for him. In Acts 1.8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses to me. You see, the Holy Spirit will cooperate and he will empower us in carrying forward the business of the partnership, which is to glorify Christ. You will receive power, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and you'll be witnesses, and your witness will be with power. But we think of the anointing of the Spirit largely in connection with preaching and uh, that type of work. But in Acts 10.38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. What for? Was it for preaching marvelous sermons? Was it for performing signs and wonders? No. Why did God anoint him with the Holy Spirit and power? who went about doing good. Now, that's that's very flat, isn't it? It's not very exciting because you're going about doing good. But the truth in that statement is this, that we can't even go about doing good in a way that will produce spiritual results unless the Holy Spirit is behind it. Even Jesus needed the anointing of the Spirit to enable him to go around and do social work. It says he went about doing good, healing those who were oppressed by the devil. And he did it in the power of the Spirit. Now, our heavenly partner, it says, you you will receive power And you will be able to witness effectively for me when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost. The disciples were willing to sacrifice their personal interests and comforts in the interest of the kingdom, in the interest of the partnership. If we are real active partners in the work of the kingdom with the Holy Spirit, our own interests will be secondary to the interest of Christ and his kingdom. That's why in Matthew 6.33, the Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's, that's our first place. Your own interest second. You, but if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you don't have to worry about the other affairs. He said all those things, the secondary things will be added to you. You'll be be able to get through. I'll look after that side. You look after my interests. I'll look after yours. The next thing, the third clause would be the capital is to be contributed by each partner. Now, what capital have you got to put into this partnership? What spiritual capital have you got? I think one verse of a hymn says says it, Naught have I gotten but what I received. Grace has bestowed it since I have believed. Once more to tell it, would I embrace? I am only a sinner saved by grace. I have no spiritual capital 
to contribute to the partnership. Anything I have is what I receive from the Lord. I was utterly bankrupt when he saved me. I had no, all I had was sins. And so there's nothing that I can contribute to the partnership. But what, what will my partner contribute? My only contribution would be my body. So present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. My only contribution to the partnership is all my being's ransom powers. And God is willing to accept that. And the Holy Spirit is willing to accept that as my contribution to the partnership. And so with my body, I can work out the details of the partnership. And what does the Holy Spirit contribute to the partnership? Remembering that he is the, the representative of Christ, he contributes the unsearchable riches of Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as the representative of the Lord Jesus, he puts all these resources to the credit of the partnership to which we have contributed nothing except our redeemed bodies. And so it's rather a one-sided partnership, isn't it? But the Holy Spirit is able to impart all that Jesus is. And he's willing to put that to the credit of the partnership. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Dr. Fullerton gave the illustration of a young man uh, known to him who launched out into business and he had, he had practically nothing. And yet somehow or other, when he launched out into business, it just grew and grew and grew and nobody could understand where, where, where is he getting all the money from? Where, where, how, how is this business growing like this? But you see, they didn't know that there was a, a, a private man who saw the possibilities and the capabilities of this young man. And he said to him, you go and start the business and I'll stand by you. And people didn't know that he had somebody standing by him who had all the resources he needed. And that was why the business prospered. Now we have in our partnership the Holy Spirit, and he is our standby. He's there, he said, I'll supply all your need. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And we have somebody who has the authority to give us and to communicate to us everything we need for effective life and service. Well, there is the third one. The fourth one is in the event of any disagreement or dispute arising, the matter shall be referred to arbitration. That's usually in a, in a deed of partnership. If the two partners can't agree, well, we call somebody in to be the arbitrator. Now, what is the arbitrator in this partnership? Listen. May the peace of God be throned in your heart as the arbitrator in all disputes. Well, what's the arbitrator? The peace of God. Now, what does that mean? It means that when the dove of the peace of God flies out of your heart, and you're not at peace, and you're disturbed, and your peace is gone, it means that somehow or other there's something that is not pleasing your partner. 
It's if the peace of God is present, then you are pleasing him. But if the peace of God is gone, then it means that the Holy Spirit is grieved. And so the presence of the peace of God can be an arbitrator if you find that things aren't going as you wish they would. And I believe that we need to be very sensitive. May the peace of God be throned in your heart as the arbitrator in all disputes. We can know at once if the Holy Spirit is grieved. And as I said last night, honest confession to God and uh, the receiving of forgiveness and then the placing of one's life again under the control of the Holy Spirit will secure the full cooperation of our partner. Then the last, the fifth point, the distribution of profits. That's always a a very important part in a partnership. If there are no profits, there's not much point in the partnership. Well, all the way through in this partnership, we are getting the benefits and the Holy Spirit is uh, (laughs) supplying everything for us. And in the partnership, the Holy Spirit doesn't want any profit out of it at all. What does he do? The Holy Spirit makes all the profits over to us. And that is very wonderful. Uh, All the profits come to us because, as we read in Romans 8, we are made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I don't think that we really grip that last statement. Joint heirs heirs with Christ. Now, if you hold a property, the husband and wife, as joint tenants, what happens? If the husband dies, the wife gets the lot. They're joint tenants. And here, we are joint heirs with Christ. We are recipients of all that Christ has. While husband and wife are alive, they have the full enjoyment of the, of the property. And if the one partner dies, the, the surviving partner still has the, has the property. And you carry that up, up. I am a joint heir with Christ. He is the heir of all things. And so, as the result of my partnership with him, he comes at the end and he shares with me all that he has, heirs of God and joint heirs with our Lord Jesus Christ. What a marvelous, marvelous God we have. He doesn't do anything by halves and we ought to be so grateful to him. Heirs of God and joint heirs of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the last point, the privileges of the partnership. What, what, what do we get out of it? We put nothing into it. But if we have been faithful to the deed of partnership and we've thrown all our energies into making the business of the partnership succeed and we have had as our great objective the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and we've been seeking to lift him up before people, what are the blessings that we get? Well, first of all, we get a blessing in our Bible study because our partner is the one who inspired the scriptures. He knows what they mean. We don't always know what they mean. But our partner is the one who can illuminate our minds to what the scripture is saying. And that is one of the wonderful things. When I first experienced what it was to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, the first thing that happened was that the Bible came alive. And I began to see things in the Bible that I never saw before because the Holy Spirit was unhindered and he was able to illumine the word to me. 
You know, that can go on right through life. It can go on in strange way. I, there was a, a, a man whom I used to know. He's in heaven now, but he was a very good Bible teacher. And when he was an old man, I met him one day, and his memory is gone. And he met me, he says, it's a wonderful thing to lose your memory. I said, I beg your pardon? <laughs> wonderful thing to use your memory? Oh, yes, he said, it is. He said, I have my quiet time, and I sit down and I read my Bible, and I get all kinds of new thoughts. He said, I, said, I never saw that before, because I know I've read it a hundred times, but he said, it comes back to me just as new and fresh as I <laughs> He said, oh, it's wonderful to lose your memory. So, well, that's an optimistic way to look at it, but what was happening even after his memory had gone? the Holy Spirit was still illuminating the Scriptures and giving him new thoughts. You see, the Bible is a living book, and the Holy Spirit is there. And, but we don't depend on him very much. We make it largely an intellectual process. And that's why the Holy Spirit doesn't do it, because we don't rely on him. It doesn't mean that you'll never have any problem in Scripture. That a young fellow was speaking to me the other day about uh, some of the problems in Scripture. I said, well, what do you do when you're eating fish? When you come, come upon a bone, would you throw the fish away, the rest of the fish away? No, you put it on the side of your plate and get on with the fish. And then later on, perhaps you've, you may not find the answer to the problem now, but... Uh, with a bit more knowledge, you might be able to solve that. But get on with the fish. Don't stick on the bone and then throw the fish away. And I think when we have our problems in the Bible, there's one thing, and I, I say this especially to the younger people, there's one thing that helps me, and that is that the Lord Jesus had exactly the same problems with the Old Testament as we have. He had the same Old Testament. He, he, knew, he knew the contradictions of the Scriptures. He didn't need Satan or anybody else to tell him what, about the problems of seeming contradictions in Scripture. The Lord had the same Old Testament as we have, and there is not one hint in anything he said that uh, there was anything there that disturbed him. He who knew all things, he faced these things and he was absolutely satisfied that the Old Testament was the Word of God. He said, my word, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The scripture cannot be broken. And so we have the benefit of our, our senior partner to help us in our study of Scripture. And the one thing the Holy Spirit delights to do is to show Christ in all the Scriptures, to reveal Christ in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system. Why the sacrificial system is all pointing forward to Christ. That was the whole thing. The tabernacle. There was a kindergarten lesson upon how to approach God and what kind of a God he was and the wonderful plan of redemption. It's all there. And the Holy Spirit, as we take time and study, the Holy Spirit will portray the face of Christ in the Old Testament. And when we come to the Gospels, right there we have four full-length portraits of Christ, word portraits. And those word portraits are far better than any painting. Why, any painting of Christ, they're very wonderful, but they're only the artist's idea. But here, the Holy Spirit has given us an absolutely authentic picture of Christ. And from four angles, it doesn't matter what, which way you look, here the Christ is depicted. So that it doesn't matter whether you're in the Old Testament looking forward or whether you're in the 
epistles and so on, looking backward, it is all revealing Christ. And what did Jesus say? He will take off the things that are mine and will show them unto you. And that's exactly what he's doing. Then we have the benefit of our partner's help in the prayer life. Romans 8.26, I didn't read, read on there, but in Romans 8.26, it tells us what he'll do for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit knows how weak we are. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Here, the Holy Spirit undertakes to help us in our weakness in prayer. That's the weakness that is spoken of. That's the context. And he'll help us in three ways. He will help us in the ignorance of our minds. He says there, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And we don't know. Uh, but the Holy Spirit will guide us. If we are subject to his, his leading, he'll, he will show us what things are according to the will of God. It says he makes intercession according to the will of God. Now, we can only pray the prayer of faith for things that are according to God's will. Sometimes we don't know what God's will is. Well, then we pray only the prayer of hope, don't we? We can't pray the prayer of faith. But uh, God, if, if I don't know what God's will is, then I'm subject to it. And I say, Lord, I don't know what your will is, but I do pray that if this is according to your will, that you will do it. We have no right to ask for things which are contrary to God's will. So the Holy Spirit will help us in the ignorance of our minds what to pray for. He'll help us with the infirmities of our body. Anybody here ever gone to sleep while they're praying? Nobody. Isn't it strange? You're very active before you go to pray. But it's marvelous how lethargic you come, come soon, doesn't it? And have you, have you find when you started to pray that uh, ten things had to be done and you had to get up and do those things? The devil will do anything to stop us from praying. And our bodies so oftentimes let us down. We find it very hard to concentrate. You wonder why our thoughts wander. Do you know why our thoughts wander in prayer? Have you ever tried to track it down? It's because we let them wander so much at other times. Paul said, I bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Our minds are undisciplined. And no wonder when we come to pray that they are undisciplined. Well, that's an area, I think, in which we, to which we can give attention. But uh, the, the Holy Spirit will help us to overcome the lethargy of our bodies. When I was in the tropics, I used to find that if I knelt down and bent over, I, I'd go to sleep. And, but I found one good way of overcoming that. If you pray standing up, if you go to sleep, you'll fall over. <laughs> so I used to get a, a place, where, perhaps a, a chest of drawers, and where I could stand and put my elbows on it. And I found that then the desire to go to sleep was, uh, was taken away. There are practical ways in which we can overcome these things. But the Holy Spirit will help us. When we're ill, very difficult to pray, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So he helps us in the infirmities of our body, but he helps us also in the, in the iniquities of our heart. And sometimes there is something between me and God. If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. 
But if our hearts do condemn us, we don't have confidence toward God. And so the Holy Spirit, if we're willing for him to, he will reveal to us anything that is between us and him, and then he'll lead us to the cleansing blood. And he'll lead us to accept the cleansing that comes through the confession of sin and the reception of all the wonderful work our Lord did on the cross. So in those three ways, our partner uh, will help us. And then lastly, he'll help us in our daily living. He is the spirit of holiness. And his great desire for us is that we should be holy and like Christ. And that is his great purpose in us. That's why he imparts to us the fruit of the Spirit. You know, in Galatians 5, 22, 23, you have that nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. If you think that over, you will find that those nine manifestations are just a, an epitome of Christ. You think of love? Well, that was perfect in him. Joy? He was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, discipline. Every one of those. Those are pictures of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit, as we submit to his leading, he will produce in us these Christ-like <laughs> qualities so that we, in our measure, every day will be just a little bit more like him. And after all, isn't that what we want? Isn't that the purpose of the partnership? He will help us in our service because he says you will receive power, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and you will be witnesses unto me to the ends of the earth. The Lord envisaged the whole of the world program right to the very end. And he said, the Holy Spirit is there and he will empower you until the very ends of the earth have received the gospel. And that is the consummation of the age. That is the consummation toward which we're moving. So here is a possibility of a partnership a real partnership that uh, the Holy Spirit is willing to enter into with us and so we can have a new relationship with him. I, I, I do trust that you will take these thoughts and they're, they're only suggestions, but I believe they are scripturally uh, based suggestions. But that when you hear the benedictions said next time, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Perhaps you'll remember that the Holy Spirit longs to be the senior partner in your partnership.